0: i've learned that the best way to get my mind off of my pain or my sorrow is to go figure out how to help somebody else and i always feel better when i do it that way
1: welcome to beyond speaking with brian lord a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers i'm brian lord and on the show today we have best-selling author and co-founder of the ron clark academy kim bearden as she shares how she handles her personal struggles while teaching in the classroom her journey of adopting her three sons from Soweto, South Africa, and the importance of surrounding yourself with people who fill your soul. This episode kicks off our back-to-school series with our education agent, Ryan Giffen. So here's to the kids getting back to the books and the amazing teachers who teach them. We hope you enjoy our interview with Kim Bearden. Kim Bearden, thanks for being with us today here at Premier. Thanks for having me. Throughout the year, you get to talk about what you do in the classroom every day and what you do at uh, the Ron Clark Academy as the co-founder. You get to do all these things in training and leading and building up teachers, but we're here to kind of talk a little bit about the backstory and the beyond speaking uh, of Kim Bearden. So one of my favorite stories is just how you overcame some of the hardest times in your career during what some would consider the most Successful part of your career but it was the most difficult part of your personal life and I think that that story can speak to so many people so
0: Sure so yeah I am Kim Beard and I'm the co-founder and executive director at the Ron Kirk Academy and I'm a teacher I teach every day but I think you know you're referring to something a part of my life where I went through a really dark time and I think it's important to share that with people because everybody has a story you know we all have bright times and we have dark times and when you're going through that dark time you feel so alone um, for me I had been fortunate to receive a lot of recognition as an educator. And so people just thought I had it all together. But, you know, there's that illusion of perfectionism that plagues uh, plagues us. Sometimes we, we put on a good smile and, and sometimes we're in a lot of pain. And so um, I was married before many, many years ago to this very handsome, charming guy. But um, he led a whole double life, like movie of the week, you, you know, USA Today, Lifetime Television movie of the week. And uh, it's embarrassing to say that I was completely unaware of it. But what I discovered, uh, to you know make a very long story, give you the cliff notes version, is that uh, he actually led a whole double life where he had different women in every state, pretty much. I mean, seriously, numerous women. Um, there was another child, the same age as our child. We'd been married several years before we had our child. And then he disappeared. And all of the money disappeared. And at the time, I had a daughter, a little girl in elementary school, and I had to get up and go every day into that job and pour into those kids. And some people understand this when I share it. Some don't. But it was so dark for me. I didn't tell anyone. And I think that's a, a, a true theme. I see a lot of people sometimes that they're struggling and it's almost like a secret. There's a lot of reasons people don't talk. You know, sometimes you don't talk because you're. I was humiliated to be quite honest. But but also it was just almost so dark. I didn't have words. And I didn't want 30 other people telling me, Kim, you have to do this. I I, I needed to figure it out myself before um, how I was going to put things together and how I was going to move forward. And so um, for me, it was, you know, there were many lessons I learned because when you're in that darkness, you become the most enlightened, I think. But um, I think the biggest lesson was that, you know, by focusing on lifting my students up, that's what actually pulled me up. You know, I I, instead of seeing them as a burden because I had so many other things going on, you know, I, I really saw them as my sanctuary and I was able to go in there and focus on lifting them up and that was the biggest thing that got me through that dark time.
1: And there was someone extremely instrumental in that because I know many people going through dark times in their life they kind of just they don't ever see the road ahead of them right. and sometimes it does take someone grabbing your hand and dragging you, you know, kicking and screaming sometimes right. down the road. Talk about Yeah, that I had person. a
0: teacher that worked next door to me. Her name was Mona. Oh, the most extraordinary woman I've ever known. But she's one of those people that everybody loved because she was just so warm and loving. Just that was one of those big, you know, big huggers and a joyful spirit. But she came in my room one day after school and she said, Kim, you're doing a great job. I said, thanks, Mona. She said, you're doing a great job at fooling everyone. <laughs> but you're not fooling me. What is it? And so I opened up to her and in doing so, you know, then the floodgates came open, but she did all the things she wants someone to do. Like she, you know, listened to me, she cried with me, she held me, she prayed with me, but she told me, she said, you know, Kim, the next day, I actually came back in my room. She was already waiting on me to check on me. And she said, Kim, you know, has always brought you such great joy, hasn't it? And I said, oh yeah. And she said, then during this time when you can't control any of this other garbage that's going on around you, you've got to let it be that source of joy. And that sounds real simplistic, but it it really did have a huge shift in my thinking. I thought, you know, I was carrying all these burdens into that classroom every day. And I thought, if I could just focus on what talent I did have and use it to lift up those kids. And and some days I fell short, and I I could forgive myself, though, and say, tomorrow I'm going to go in there. I'm going to focus on lifting them up. It actually pulled me up. And, And during that time, it wasn't like a quick healing. It took months. It even took years to clean that all up. But even now, and, you know, life is good now. That was many years ago. But even now, I still want to have painful times or difficult times. I've learned that if um, the best way to get my mind off of my pain or my sorrow is to go figure out how to help somebody else. And I always feel better when I do it that way.
1: And then you have an amazing family now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Scott, your husband, yes. is probably one of my favorite people other
0: than Kim Bearden. Yeah, I got it right the second time. (laughs) 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 I am a lifelong learner, and I learn from my mistakes. And, I, you know, you don't have to have a man to find happiness. Uh, I don't want anybody to think that I'm implying that. But I I was very blessed to to, uh, remarry a a wonderful Mm -hmm. man. And I have a daughter who's 29. You know, the little girl I mentioned before, she's now 29 years old. She's married. She's just doing so well. But yes, I have three sons who I adopted from South Africa. That's just another great
1: question that we kind of want to go into. You have one of the most uh, interesting stories of how you've grown your family. Um, It's one that a route that not a lot of people take um, Mm -hmm. and are blessed to experience. Tell us about your
0: three sons and how that all came about. So our school, we travel a lot. And we travel every year. We take our eighth graders to Soweto, South Africa. Um, Now, many of my students come from low wealth situations, but we believe in exposing them to the world. And through lots of work and fundraising and things like that, we're able to make that happen. And so we return to the same schools and orphanages every year. And several years ago, um, there were three little boys that just stole my heart. And wherever we would show up, they would just show up. They, they kept kind of following us around town. They were always there. And so we finally gained permission to put them on the bus with us and take them to dinner. And we're sitting there at, at dinner and there's a little boy named Pakamani. Ah, oh, the most contagious little giggle. He was kind of mischievous, but we would all laugh when he laughed. We didn't even know why we were laughing, but because of his giggle, he was that kid. <laughs> And then there's Sabello, He's like the brooding, dark artist. You know, he always had this little sketchbook because he wants to be an engineer. And um, and then there was Sisipo. And Sisipo was the one whose personality was larger than life. He's one of those kids that when he would speak, people would just all walk up and surround him to hear what it, what he was going to say. And so one of my students at the time, Darius, said, Sisipo, what happens after high school? And Sisipo is never at a loss for words. I watched how his eyes filled up with these tears, and he put his head down, and they just bounced off his plate. Um, He didn't answer because there's no answer. Um, If you don't know anything about for those people who are listening don't know anything about Soweto, I encourage people to learn more about it. It's a very um, beautiful history, but also an extraordinarily painful history. I mean, there's incredible human beings from Soweto. You you can visit Nelson Mandela's former home, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. But during apartheid, people of color were forced to live in townships. And the word Soweto actually comes from what was once the southwest townships. And so— Horrible disparities, horrible conditions, horrible lack of resources. Um, and so to this day, that's still the problem, abject poverty, about 1.5 million people living in just just the worst poverty. Um, but yet just such beautiful spirits, such resilience, such joys, music, laughter when you go there. And so when CCBO did not answer, it just broke my heart because I realized that he has dreams like every other child. And did not have the opportunities to be able to realize them. And so I came home and, you know, I I do have the world's best husband. And I I said, you know, I said, I just feel led. I feel like we're supposed to do something. I don't, you know, we don't have the time. We don't have, you know, the resources. I don't have the knowledge. I don't even know what to do, but I, I I can't let go of this. And, um, you know, I think sometimes you just know you're called to do something. Uh, you know, I've always loved all of my students and been called to do many things for many children, but I felt like I was supposed to do something bigger. And so those three little boys are now my three sons. It was a very long journey um, to adopt them. They arrived at age 12. I met them the first time when they were eight, nine years old. Um, but now they're all three of my sons. Two of them are biological cousins. Um, two, two of them are Kosa and one is Zulu. And they have now been with us over five years. But when they arrived, um, they could not add, they could not multiply, CISIPO could not read. And so imagine entering seventh grade in the United States. And our school is very rigorous. I brought them to the academy, obviously, where, you know, I brought them to my school (laughs) and our school. And um, the teachers just poured into them. And then we would have to go home every night, sit five, six hours at night, you know, to get them caught up. Now they're all honor students, and they're entering in their senior year in high school, and we're thinking about colleges. And they just took the ACT for the first time, and they do it all on their own now. So it's um, been quite a miraculous journey, really.
1: And then you just recently had to go back to South Africa to prove uh, the (laughs) adoption, the official adoption, which we were just discussing earlier. And it's just incredible the the links that you've gone for these boys. Well, that's what
0: mothers do, right? So. Um, My sons, they arrived here on student visas, actually, to attend the academy, and then I was able to petition for adoption, and so it was a several-year process until they became legally my children. They were legally my—I was their guardian, but until they were legally adopted, Um, and so then became the long, laborious process of being able to get their citizenship. And, you know, there's—obviously, not being political, but there's a lot of immigration issues in our country right now, so I think some of those were even made um, lengthier because of there's just so many things, you know, in our country we're trying to figure out, and And so um, I had to submit hundreds and hundreds of documents, had attorneys and everything, everything from pictures of my boys and every penny we've ever spent and proving that they live with us and all these documents with our address and everything on that to prove that in some way I wasn't just trying to bring kids over here and get them citizenship right. So – The very first hurdle is to get green cards for them. And so they were legally adopted. So please note that, like, all along, they were already legally my children. But adoption is a state – is is something that's done through your state. Citizenship is done through uh, nationally, uh, federal government. And so in November, I received a letter in the mail. And to kind of summarize, it basically said that I had not proven – that their birth parents actually really lived in South Africa, that they could be in the United States. And so I had 30 days to prove that their birth parents lived in South Africa. Well, that's hard to prove, you know, because to even get paperwork and things like that, you know, you're you're very different systems set up there. As we said, you know, people living in shacks, no running water, no transportation. And so I was like, 30 days, how in the world am I going to do this? And so I looked at my husband and the attorney. I said, well, I'm going to get on a plane and go to South Africa. And my attorney said, seriously? I said, well, of course, there's no other option. I will go find the information. And so um, we worked it out. I, I was ready to go all by myself. My, my husband stayed with the boys, but because I had been to South Africa 10 times, I knew I felt very comfortable going. And uh, my brother, my big brother, insisted on coming with me. But right. um, yeah, I was like, I'm fine. I got this. But he came with me. He's a firefighter, paramedic. You know, he was like, I'm coming. You know, They're very protected, which is beautiful. But- Went to South Africa and um, had to go to Cape Town where one of my um, son Pakamani's birth mother was and then to Soweto. And it was absolutely miraculous because, you know, this is a place of very little paperwork, documentation, things like that. And you are able to get affidavits there at the police department 24 hours a day, which is the craziest thing. And so I literally every time I go, to oh, you know, Depewey? Would you mind signing an affidavit that you've seen him here? And I had people from the church. I had letters from the church. I had letters from jobs, people, neighbors, everything like that. And I was just bringing people at all hours of the night to. And I thought, well, the police are going to start to be suspicious. So honestly, I was rotating police station. <laughs> I had a driver. I got a, I got someone I hired. I said, can you just drive me all week long? And he was just the most wonderful, wonderful man from Soweto. And he, he got so um, excited about the whole prospect. He was like, he felt like he was on this mission with us. And um, and then I flew to Cape Town and met my other son's birth mother and and she had um, kept certificates of courses she had taken to try to find employment over the years and and I was able to get those and get those notarized and and so you know it's very hard she has no address because she lives in shacks and so um, I was able to do some things for her but also to. Um, she was so beautiful. I just, I loved meeting her and such a beautiful, beautiful soul. And um, so it was very emotional too as you can imagine.
1: I can see a trail of dust behind you while you're there because you're just going nonstop. Like we've yes. all, you know, anybody that's seen <laughs> Kim Bearden teach, a video of her teach or speak, she's all over the place. I can only imagine that's how you were in South Africa. There was just this Kim Bearden blur going from place. I was on place. You yeah. are
0: not kidding. I was like, okay, let's go. Okay, got it. Let's go. Let's go here. And then you start thinking, it's amazing. I was like, Okay, so how do you buy your clothes? We, you know, Sometimes we put them on low. They have almost like a, you could go to a store and you could have an account and you could charge clothes. And it's sort of like our layaway, right? And I was like, what stores have you bought clothes from? Would they tell us? And so, like, I literally went back, and they, and then I went to their schools, and I went into the schools where the boys had attended. And I said, "Do you have any records that the parents that these were their parents, you know?" And 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 one of my sons has a living brother, and I said, "Can I?" So I went to him and found his school and found him, and I said, "Do you have proof that that his mother is still here in the country, you know?" So it was. Incredible, the amount of information I was able to 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 get from nothing to prove that, in fact, of course, you know, they had been mine all this time, and they had been with me solely and and things like that. And so it was a huge blessing. And so, um in January, we received their their green card, so they're permanent legal residence. And so now we've um, sent in all the paperwork for their citizenship. and that's their, you know, their great dream is to become American citizens. And so we look forward to that being approved. I feel so confident that it will because, you know, we adopted them at a very young age and, you know, everything else is now checked out.
1: The the difficulties in life that you face and sometimes the unbelievable difficulties that some people go through every day and they don't share. In that, what would you say in your experience and your advice to these types of people that are maybe in a dark period or dark time? What, what's your one piece of advice that
0: you give to them? Can I give two? Two. So one is that a lot of times when you're going through that, you feel very powerless, right? Like you don't have any control over anything. And, and I realized that sometimes we define power the wrong way. Like if you define power as your ability to control things, then then your happiness is always going to be dictated by your current circumstances. Um, if you define power as the stuff you have, well, there's nothing wrong with having nice stuff, but we all know if that's the only thing that's going to fuel you and motivate you and drive you, then that's a hunger that will never be satisfied. So I, I've learned that the greatest power is when you empower others. Because when you empower others, that exponential effect goes on forever, you know, and and it gives your life purpose and meaning. But the other thing I learned is that the importance of surrounding yourself with people who fuel your soul. Uh, You know, time is so fleeting and we have so many people, you know, we we all encounter negative people. You can't avoid that. People say, avoid negative people. That's impossible. You may work right next door to a soul sucker, you know. (laughs) I call negative people misery evangelists because you're always trying to recruit to the flock, you know, and spread the gospel of misery. But... um, but i the way you don't get sucked into that vortex is you've got to seek out those monas as i mentioned mona earlier you because in doing so then it helps to make you more of a mona and and then i think i may give you a third thing i think is really important is that if you've been hurt and you're able to help someone else i think that there's a song that says a heart without hurt is hollow and so i think that if you're able to take your pain and use it to help somebody else who's going through something similar then all of a sudden it makes meaning out of it. You know, then you realize, okay, this wasn't done in vain. This was like, this is actually empowered me to have the words to use to help this particular person who's going through something. And so then it, it makes sense out of it all. And I think, you know, the thing is about, it, I, I had this, it, it, I don't know if it was a dream. It was that time in between sleep and awake. So it was like, I was conscious. I wasn't fully asleep. But all of a sudden I was just thinking about something I thought. I was thinking about a photograph of my family. And so, you know, it's my husband and my my daughter and my three African sons. And I, I thought about if I was 21 years old and I was just about to enter into that first marriage and you had shown me that picture and said, this is your life. I would have been like, what? Wait a minute. How's that going? Like, how's that? That's the person I'm married. Like, honestly, I'm marrying right now. And who's that? And who are these three little boys? And I'm like, how is that going to work? Like, you know, and then it might've even terrified me to think, well, then that means this marriage isn't going to work. And then, How is that going to, you know, all these things may have even terrified me. But now when I look at that picture, that picture is the most beautiful thing I can possibly see. And so sometimes things, you know, as you're going through something, you can't see the end result. You know, you can't see what the beauty of it's going to be. But understand that sometimes the plan is something more magnificent than anything you could even begin to comprehend or imagine on your own.
1: Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more about today's guest, visit beyondspeak.com. This episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was me, Eric Woody. Brian Lord was your host and executive producer. Shout out to special consultant, Lauren D of D & Associates, and Robert Porquez for that sweet, sweet intro. If you've listened this far, do me a favor and justify my existence and salary by checking out another episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast.